Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. This is the word of the Lord. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, you know that for um, last Sunday and this Sunday, and I don't know how many Sundays working forward, that I'll be focused on the creation ordinances from Genesis 1, 2, 3. And, um, and so last time we went over be fruitful and multiply. And it's, it's fairly obvious how last Sunday's message on, on that creation ordinance of be fruitful and multiply relates to both of the creation ordinances we're going to look at today. Being fruitful, getting married and having children, obeying that very first command of God given to man is the means by which we fill the earth, and in fact, it's the means by which we subdue the earth. Okay, that, that is uh, critical to understand. For many ages, before the radical blessings of certain technologies, and I, I mean that, the, the technologies that God has given to us are, are astonishing, okay? For many ages, man fought to survive. I mean, it was hard to stay alive. It was much labor. It was much pain, right? Around Thanksgiving, I'm reminded of, of this when those graphics come out about how many of the men, women, and children that came to our shore on the Mayflower died during the first winter, right? Have you seen them? Like it, it makes their, you have the pictures of those who stayed alive and then it sort of blurs out those that, are, that, that passed away. They, they arrived in Plymouth at the end of November in 1620. And by the spring of 1621, only 50 of the 102 pilgrims were alive. It was hard work to stay alive. Much of history was just a fight for survival. And because of that, the command to be fruitful and multiply was simply a no-brainer. We want to stay alive. We must make children. Right? Do we want to continue on? Do we want to work the fields? Well, we must have children. Yet in our context, what with technology that has helped us overcome extreme cold and, and extreme heat and many diseases and infections and, and has amped up to a stupendous degree just how much yield we can get out of our crops. Um, those days are are in large part past, right? It is much easier to sustain our lives. It's much easier to be alive. At least that's true for developed nations, right? And yet it is the developing nations, ironically, that are having all the children right now, as we went over a few weeks ago. 
took many thousands of years for the earth's population to rise to one billion, right? Took, took five, six thousand years for the earth's population to get to one billion. Then in a few hundred years, it rose to seven billion in 2011. And then in a mere 13 years, the world's population has gone up to eight billion, And the question is, does this, does this go beyond the point of abundantly filling the earth? Have we fulfilled this command of God to fill the earth that we're considering today? Now, you and I feel no pressure to have children in order to com- keep humanity going, right? Like others in other ages may have. Um, Noah certainly felt that way. We are not in a situation like Noah who, when he was entering the ark, was told by God to bring his family and pairs of animals for this purpose, this purpose, to keep offspring or seed alive on the face of the earth. That's what he was told. You need to go into this ark so that we can keep alive mankind. God was about to get to killing mankind, right? God was about to kill everyone except for Noah and his family. And then Noah was given the task of of filling the earth. Now, God was killing, and I, I say that because that is what he was doing, but he was judging man who was who had filled the earth with violence. Right? You remember that? And so he kills them as punishment. But Noah was given the task of filling the earth, doing his part with both the animals and, more importantly, with man, right? In fact, after God was done killing all the men of the earth because of their God-hating violence, God reminds Noah of those first two creation ordinances. So let me read the whole passage. This is from Genesis 9. This is very important uh, concerning the two creation ordinances we're looking at. Genesis 9.1, and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every morning, every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is its blood. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man, from every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. As for you, he then concludes this, He says, be fruitful and multiply, populate the earth abundantly, and multiply in it. That's the command reiterated twice on the be fruitful and multiply, but then he says, populate the earth abundantly. So do you hear it there? The command of God before the fall, which is still in effect today, is fill the earth. Fill the earth. To Noah after the flood, it is restated, and notice that God says, populate the earth abundantly. 
not partially, not a whole lot, but populate the earth abundantly. So the question is, have we arrived? Has this creation mandate been fulfilled, right? Have there been enough image bearers born? Now consider for a moment this. Perhaps God meant what he said. And he really wanted the earth full, right? Because when you fill something, you fill it full. And perhaps God meant that. He didn't just command man to be sort of, sort of fruitful and, and stop when you have enlarged your carbon footprint to a certain point. He commanded man to fill the earth, to populate the earth abundantly. And of course, you're probably thinking, because you've been drinking the poison of our professors and politicians, you're probably thinking that we've gone far beyond filling the earth. We're at the tipping point for the earth and and her resources. We must begin to to depopulate the earth, right? John Kerry, the U.S. Special Presidential Envoy for Climate, the U.S. SPEC, jet sets about the world telling mankind that, quote, humanity is inexorably threatened by humanity itself. Unquote. And he's not talking about wars and sin, which do threaten humanity, okay? He's not talking about wars and sin. He's talking merely about man's existence threatens man. And the UN, the United Nations, is very concerned about population growth, and as I view it, does much work to make sure that Babies aren't being made. In their 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development, the UN expressed this goal. By 2030, we will ensure universal access to sexual and reproductive health care services, including for family planning, information and education, and the integration of reproductive health into national strategies and programs. Now, if you don't know already, what they write there is all sanitized language for the promulgation of those things that will lead to image bearers being crushed in their mother's wombs. Birth control and abortion. That's their solution. Oh, they are quick to say And the U.S. State Department is actually quick to say that they are against coercive methods when it comes to when and how many children people should have. But even as they say that, they consistently promote birth control and abortion as birth control, right? So they they give with one hand and take it away with the other hand. So man, by God's order has been tasked with being so fruitful that they fill the earth. 
And everything we've been told is that it's overfilled, it's at the tipping point, it's on the verge of massive, massive collapse that will lead to the demise of mankind. Why are you so cruel to mankind? We must depopulate in order to save mankind, right? Mr. Musk builds his rockets so that we can expand out to Mars someday and relieve some of the pressure. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that that endeavor will take a massive amount of Earth's resources. In fact, they're all going to have to come from Earth. I don't like this example because it's a thought experiment that breaks down rather simply, but it does speak to what it means to fill the Earth. This is from a dude named Jeffrey Whittison on, of all places, Quora. He says, you could, in theory, house the entire population of Earth into Texas at a population density of 27,000 people per square mile. This is about the same population density as New York City and substantially less than Paris. Hence, you would have to effectively build a single vast city across the entire state to house the whole world there. Of course, this isn't possible in real life, he goes on even if you could convince everyone to live in Texas. <laughs> Don't mess with Texas. And build a quarter million square mile city to house them all, you'd be left with no one outside producing the global supply of food, water, and other essentials that this global city needed. And even if you had all of the, that coming in, the distribution system needed to get a constant supply of food and water, not to mention other goods and services distri distributed to 8 billion person city is beyond any bounds of practicality, right? But, but just the fact that the population of the earth, theoretically, yes, with some leaps of imagination, could fit in, let's, let's expand it out, comfortably within the space of the United States comfortably, is kind of, it's kind of shocking to us. It's kind of not what we've been told, right? Yeah, the infrastructure is going to be a headache, but that's why you make more people, right? Because they can figure out new technologies to figure out that huge city, okay? Now, I stumbled upon the work of a recently deceased professor from University of Texas in Austin, Eric Pianca. He was a herpetologist. Does everybody know what that is? Snakes? Yeah. He was a herpetologist and evolutionary ecologist. He taught a class called the Human Overpopulation Crisis, and he, he still has his website for the class up on U University of Texas's website. Um, how many of you were fed similar stuff by your undergraduate professors as this that you'll hear in a moment? To enjoy the average lifestyle of the American... Pianca writes on one of the pages in his course, each person on the earth would need 24 acres. But after reducing for un in uninhabitable land and some other factors, he says that only 2.3 acres are available for each person. And I don't trust his stats, okay? <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a pony in this race. <laughs> um, so he concludes this. For everyone presently on this earth to enjoy the lifestyle of an average American, we would need about 10 planet Earths. We have only one. 
For everyone to live like an American, earth can only support about one-tenth as many people. Now listen to this. To increase the average quality of life, the number of people on earth must be reduced. He writes. And as soon as you hear any professor advocate for population reduction, you know what you say, right? You know how you respond to that, right? Right? You, you say, well, don't be a hypocrite. Live by your philosophy. You know, start population reduction with yourself. Don't be a hypocrite. And that helps to burst their bubble a bit because no one wants to volunteer. Now, Professor Pianca and his views are the prevailing views of the developed nations, but God's second command is fill the earth. And it stands opposed to those prevailing views. Right? Science can give us models, some of which are better than others, some of which are, are fatally flawed. And, and they attempt to give us a truthful prediction of the future sometimes. And then they call us to live accordingly, which is to say that if the earth is all there is, which is the view of, of most professors, if the earth is all there is for us, you know, I get why people believe this kind of alarmist rhetoric. If there is not a God who causes his sun to shine on the evil and the good, by whom the rains are sent on the righteous and the unrighteous, well, by means, all means, freak out. Right? If this earth is all there is, freak out. But there's a heavenly Father who sends the rain, who causes the sun to shine. But dear brothers and sisters, we needn't freak out. We needn't be alarmed by God's command that we be fruitful and multiply and abundantly fill the earth. We can obey God contrary to the winds of our modern day prophets of doom. No one in the history of the world would have thought that this planet could sustain 8 billion people. And we, and it is. It's amazing. It's really amazing, isn't it? Nobody, oh, not everybody who has the, you know, not everybody has the average, the lifestyle of the average American, right? And perhaps they're blessed because of that. They have food and clothing, and with those, they will be content. Right? They have life. Right? They have food. They have clothing. With those, they'll be content. But they have life. They have life. They are living. And if they know Christ, they have eternal life. Those people that were made to fill the earth. Right? God created all things. He is the one who opens the womb, and he knows exactly what this earth can sustain, and he can bless mankind as he has with the sort of mind-boggling technology that allows for vast resources that are currently not even known 
to come about. He can also create something out of nothing and bestow it upon us. God told us to fill the earth. What then shall we do? This is the very purpose of the command to be fruitful and multiply, the abundant replenishing, not the slight replenishing or protecting out of fear of the earth. Will the earth sustain man? The answer is trust God. Trust God. Will he sustain you if you bring in the whole tithe despite not thinking you have enough resources, right? I mean, this is, the, this is the scenario in Malachi 3. We don't want to tithe because we're like, well, there's not enough resources. I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. I'm not going to tithe. And then God says to you, right, apply this to the mandate to fill the earth. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the fields cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, give up what God has given you and he'll give you more. Use it to his glory and he will give you more. Will God care for us? Will God care for us? God who knows all things and superintends all things and who sees all things, will he care for us? The answer is yes. Which leads us to the next creation mandate, subdue the earth. If we are called to fill the earth, then we must pursue this command to subdue the earth, right? In subduing the earth, we are using the resources of the earth to sustain those who filled it. And again, we face a headwind when it comes to the resources of the earth being used to sustain man. There are extremist environmentalists that so venerate the earth that they wish mankind would die out. Do you know that? They're called the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. They want you dead because you breathe out carbon dioxide. They want you dead. Right? They're called the voluntary human extinction movement, and they want to see mankind die so that there would be no more environmental degradation. Why? Because humans cause so much suffering to the planet, and there are a scarcity of resources. The scarcity of resources view fuels the death wish of these environmentalists. And though we have not run out of fossil fuels, as many of these environmentalists said would happen by this date, even if we did, Mr. Musk again assures us that we could power the entire electrical grid of the United States by installing solar panels on just 0.6% of the land. There's a lot of power in the sun. It remains untapped. 
17,500 square miles of solar panels would run the entire electrical grid of the United States. Now, I'm no expert on these things. Um, this is what the experts say. But I bring it up to make you awe at the fact that when crisis comes, listen to this, when crisis comes, mankind is wonderfully creative and wonderfully um, suited to adapting and coming up with creative uses of resources that sustain life. Who would have thought just a hundred years ago that we could harness the heat of the sun to sustain life? Or that we could split the atom and produce abundant energy? Or that we could, you know, put nutrients in the ground to increase, you know, crop yield by a hundred times? And this is what is meant when we're called by God to subdue the earth. That work. Figuring those things out is the subduing of the earth. Just after God tells man to subdue the earth, we read this. And rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth. And every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. Now, Calvin summarizes this this passage in this way that I found helpful. Listen to this. For the words of God are to this effect. Behold, I have prepared food for you because you were formed. Acknowledge me, therefore, as your Father, who has so diligently provided for you when you were not yet created. Moreover, my care for you has proceeded still further, it was your business to nurture the things provided for you, but I have taken even this charge also upon myself. Like God has, has given all these resources, all these things. We didn't even have to figure them out. All you had to do is stick them in your mouth and eat them. So in subduing the earth, we are most dependent on the abundant resource of mankind. Yes, mankind are consumers, but they are also producers who fulfill this task. And not only are they producers, but they are thinkers. If we follow the voluntary human extinction movement, I can guarantee this. There will not be any new technologies, and there will not be any new ways to harness the energy that surrounds us in the waves, the winds, the atoms, the crude oil, and the light, right? In other words, the command to fill the earth is intimately tied to the command to subdue the earth. We need Einsteins, we need Teslas, right? We need Edisons, and we need a thousand other inventors who understand the potential that God has built into this world. And before they were inventors, you know, before Edison was an inventor, you know what? He was born. He was born. Their parents, whether they acknowledged God or not, were fulfilling the creation ordinance to be fruitful and multiply. And as they grew, their fascination with the earth did not turn into idolatry, 
but rather turned into the study of how to subdue the earth. It's glorious, right? How people who would have, you know, brought great relief to mankind have been, how many people who would have brought great relief to mankind through their inventions have been destroyed in their mother's wombs. I guarantee you that there's an Einstein that's been killed and a Tesla and whoever you want to put in there. Parents who were made fearful by the speculative philosophies, by the prophets of doom, by scientism run amok, who have killed and therefore diminished diminished our ability to subdue the earth to an amazing extent. As he increases, man is to subdue and rule so as to provide for the life-sustaining goods that lead to man's comfort. Our godless leaders and teachers hate mankind, make an idol out of the earth, and try to convince us that God, if there is one, is powerless to help. His arm is short, and his promises to man are not going to be fulfilled, not going to be kept. When we give in to their alarm and cut off our fertility and treat the earth like it's a being that must be left you know, to, alone to go on living and refuse to plumb the depths of this treasure trove which God gave for our use, we are breaking all three of these purpose, purposes for which man created us. We are breaking these commands that he gave to mankind right from the start. Now, Calvin, again, in his sermon on this text, says that God created man last. Listen to this. God created man last so that he could look out, so that he could look out on something other than an empty world. And then he says, quote, There was no corner, high or low, which was not provisioned with God's gifts. That's why he made man last, so man would look out and see all these amazing resources that he could use to sustain life, to be fruitful, to, be mul- to multiply, to fill the earth. Now that, dear brothers and sisters, is how we are called to look upon this earth. We are not to squander and befoul the resources of the earth. Or turn them into uses that hasten the death of men. We are to look on the earth and see its riches as the means by which, through our subduing, the earth will be filled. Filled with image bearers. Filled. Full. We ought to view the earth as as the psalmist does in Psalm 104. Let me read this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a cloak, stretching out heaven like a tent curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chamber in the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds his messengers, flaming fire his ministers. Now listen to this. This verse is important. He established the earth upon its foundations so that it will not totter forever and ever. 
You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled. At the sound of your thunder they hurried away. The mountains rose. The valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of his works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes man's heart glad so that he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon which he planted where the birds build their nests and the stork whose home is in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, the cliffs are a refuge for the sephanim. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness and it becomes night in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There is the sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both great and small. There are ships moving along in Leviathan, which you have formed to sport in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them. They gather it up. You open your hands, they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in his works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Doesn't that paint this picture of the God being there and just giving every food and every meal and every, all the swarming, swarming animals and all that, I mean, just, it's just, I mean, you can't help but grow things in the ground here. Cast a seed in the ground and it grows. It's amazing. Think of, God made the land of Canaan flow with milk and honey. He gave every plant and tree to man his food. He has given into the hand of man every beast of the earth and bird of the sky and fish of the sea as food. He knows the quantity of everything and the earth is established by him and it will not totter. So be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it to God's glory. Right? Amen? Let's pray.
Oh, Father, forgive us for being scared of the the news that we read and being scared of the reports and being scared of new scientific discoveries and being scared of, of what everybody seems to be saying. When we know that your word has given us truth, And you are a God who desires that this earth be filled with those who bear your image. And you know, you know, you know that this earth can sustain your people. But the command is for us to be fruitful and multiply to fill the earth and subdue it. And so, Father, I pray that we would give ourselves locally to this task. And that we would not be intimidated, but that we would honestly delight in doing your will. We would delight in your creation, but not make an idol of it. We would see it as for us and not make an idol of it. Lord, you have been so good to us, and we praise your glorious name. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.